Just a quick update before today's episode. In a nutshell, we're offering free access to our attachment theory and psychotherapy online course, which normally costs £99 in exchange to those who leave a review on our podcast. The course is run by Professor Jeremy Holmes, one of the world's leading experts in how attachment theory can be applied to improve therapeutic practice. And just so you know I'm not making this up, Peter Fonagy has described Professor Holmes' latest book as one of the most valuable contributions to the field in this century. Normally this course costs £99, but you can get it for free by simply leaving a review of this podcast on the platform you use, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher or Spotify. Then simply email us on support at theweekenduniversity.com and we'll grant you free access to the course. Reviews make a huge difference in helping us get the ideas shared by our speakers out to a wider audience. So not only will you be getting a £99 course free of charge, you'll also be helping a greater number of people improve their quality of life. Thanks for your continued support of the project, and I hope you enjoy today's show. Okay, everybody, welcome back for our second talk today. I'm joined here by uh, Terry Reel. So Terry is an internationally recognized family therapist, speaker, and author. He's the founder of the Relational Life Institute, offering workshops for couples, individuals, and parents, along with a professional training program for clinicians to learn the relational life therapy methodology. He is the best-selling author of I Don't Want to Talk About It, How Can I Get Through to You, and The New Rules of Marriage. His most recent book, Us, comes out on June 7th and is now available for pre-order, explores how toxic individualism infiltrates families and couples with devastating effects, and offers a new science-based skill set for helping couples create relationships based on compassion, collaboration, and closeness. The book has attracted praise from a, a wide range of supporters, including Esther Perel, Bruce Springsteen, Laurie Gottlieb, Richard Schwartz, and many others. You can learn more about his work at www.terryreal.com and he'll be running a, a workshop on on the theme of today on us um, for individuals and couples this summer which you can also learn more about on the website so terry it's absolutely brilliant to have you on board today whenever you get ready uh, or whenever you're ready feel free to get started and best of luck well thank you very much you know that's great and welcome everybody thank you for uh, joining me i appreciate your interest in uh and your your being here uh, I am going to talk today about relational mindfulness, about awakening and uh, operating out of the best part of us, uh, our better angels. And I want to start uh, by reading uh, from my new book, I have to show it to you, Us, Getting Past You and Me to Build a More Loving Relationship, introduction by Bruce Springsteen, I want to tell you. Uh, th- this is the very opening line. Have you ever felt as if you were an unwitting passenger in your own interactions? You tell yourself a dozen times that this once you will not lose it with your child, colleague, family member, or spouse. But in the heat of the moment, oh my, there it goes. The unkind word, the raised voice, the torrent of what you really think. Maybe you're not the explosive type. Instead of lashing out, you shut down because you're either disgusted, I don't need this, or overwhelmed, I can't handle this, or both at the same time. Maybe you're neither aggressive nor withdrawn. Maybe for the most part, you're moderate, even-tempered, and sensible. It's just that your partner isn't. Welcome to humanity. Before you pick up that verbal knife, before you brick yourself in even further, let me remind you that you love this person and therein lies the rub, my friend. Do you remember, really, in that heated moment when fear or righteous anger courses through your veins that you love this person? Do you remember it when your body shuts down and for the life of you, you can barely squeak out a word. The sobering answer, if you're dead honest, is that you do not. In that heated moment, 
the sweetness between you, the sense of the two of you as a team facing the world together, the sense of us is nearly impossible to locate. The good news is that love is still there. The bad news is that it's stored in parts of your brain, body, and nervous system that in those flash moments, you no longer inhabit. Your endocrine system is on high alert, pumping stimulants into your bloodstream. Your, automatic, your autonomic nervous system, far below your consciousness, is in fight or flight, spurring you on or shutting you down. The higher functions of your brain, the prefrontal cortex, have gone completely offline, while the more primitive parts of your brain, the limbic system, particularly the amygdala, have decisively taken over. Do you recognize that? Either in you or your partner, either in lashing out and expressing yourself or shutting down and defending yourself. When I uh, meet with a couple and my beat are uh, couples on the brink of divorce that no one else has been able to help. When I meet with a couple in extremis, the first question I ask is not, uh, what are the stressors? Uh, a good couple can handle external stress, money, the kids, pandemic, whatever. And it's not even what is the choreography? What's the dance between the two of you? That's critically important as a couple's therapist. The more she pursues, the more he distances. And the more he distances, the more she pursues. What's the vicious circle that you're caught in? But the most important question is this. Which part of you am I speaking to? Which part of you am I speaking to? Am I speaking to the wise adult part of you? Prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that develops last in us as individuals, the part of the brain that developed last in us as a species, the most mature part of us, the wise adult part of us, I call it. Here and now, present based, feet on the floor, able to think, choose, deliberate, decide. Or am I speaking to subcortical parts of your nervous system? Am I speaking to the wounded child part of you, I call it, or the adaptive child part of you? The wounded child part of you, as I do creative work with uh, my clients, is very young. Uh, first moments of life up to four or five years old. And this is the part of you that just experienced uh, the trauma, the uh, abuse or violation or control or neglect and abandonment. And the wounded child part of us, very young, tends to be overwhelmed, just wants to crawl up in someone's lap and cry for a thousand years or so. Between this wise adult present-based part of us and this flooded trauma-triggered part of us, there's a, a middle part. I call it the adaptive child part of us, adaptive child part of us. This is who you cobbled together when you were a kid in the face of absent parent, healthy parenting to model yourself after or you did model yourself after a parent who was not particularly healthy. The adaptive child part of us is what one of my great mentors, P.M. Melody, called a kid in grown-ups clothing. It's a kid's version of what an adult looks like. And it's simply not very mature. Most of the people who come to my office have been living most of their lives out of their adaptive child parts, thinking that it's a functional adult. And because the adaptive child part of us mirrors the individualistic world that we live in, the society we live in, uh, many of the people I treat are uh, great successes out in the world and make a hash of their personal lives because the adaptive child part of us is not interested in learning relational skills, is not interested in intimacy. It has one goal in mind, survival. Now look, our autonomic nervous system 
scans the body four times a second. Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? And if the answer is yes, I'm safe, then we stay seated in that uh, higher functions of our nervous system, the wise adult. But if the answer is no, I'm in danger, then uh, that uh, a higher uh, function of our brain literally shuts off, goes offline, and more uh, primitive parts of the brain take over. It is not about us, it is about you versus me. It is about my survival, me, 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 me as an individual. It is about uh, uh, win, lose, zero, sum. And we literally cannot hold on to the relationship, to the whole, to the gestalt. And it becomes an adversarial contest. I call this the adaptive child part of us or uh, you and me uh, versus us. So let me give you a sense, if I can pull this off, of the qualities uh, of the difference between the wise adult, functional adult, and uh, there we go, and uh, you and me, the adaptive child. All right, there you go. The adaptive child part of us, black and white versus nuanced, perfectionistic versus realistic, relentless versus forgiving, rigid versus uh, flexible, harsh, hard, certain in the body versus uh, warm, yielding, humble, and relaxed. I tell people to pay attention to their neck and their solar plexus, relaxed versus tight. You all know what I'm talking about? You, you recognize this part of you? That's right, that's wrong. You know, not to offend anybody, but one of my clients said that the adaptive child part of them was like a little fundamentalist who lived inside. That's right, that's wrong, that's good, that's bad. I, I want you to pay attention. You know, if you get nothing from this talk, but this one thing I'm about to say, I, I want you to pay attention to just one of these distinctions harshness. And here's what I want to tell you. There is no, hold on, thank you. There is no redeeming value in harshness. Take that in. There is nothing that harshness does that loving firmness doesn't do better. Whether it's between you and others, or coming your way from others, or between your ears, there is nothing that harshness does that loving firmness doesn't do better. Now, how many of you listening give yourselves a hard time? Self-esteem is the capacity to hold yourself tenderly, warmly, the way you would a kid, even in the face of your screw-ups and limitations. You feel bad about your bad behavior, but you still hold yourself in warm regard as a flawed person. I'm okay, that was rotten behavior. Let me go make amends to the person I hurt and tend to them. But let me not turn this into a festival of beating myself up. That's called shame and it's no use to anybody. Uh, I'm an old duffer. At 71, I have a deal with the universe. Uh, if it's not kind, I'm not interested. And that very much includes uh, me to me. Uh, that adaptive child part of me will give me a hard time. And when it does, I will literally say to it, it's just a boy part of me. And you don't get harsh to the harshness. You don't try and control it. You just stand up to it. Listen, say what you need to say as if you're on my side, and I'll listen to you. Uh, but if you say it harshly, I'm not going to listen. I was talking to a, a guy, I called him my Clint Eastwood a guy. He, he, was a, he was a Wyoming uh, rancher and he was a ringer for Clint Eastwood. And we were talking about harshness having no redeeming value of any kind. And he started to cry, you know, little manly Clint Eastwood tears, but nevertheless. And, and I said to him, you're thinking about the hard time you've given yourself all these years. And he said, no. 
<laughs> I'm thinking about the damage I've done to my three sons. Be kind, say it firmly, say it truthfully, but say it in a way that is respectful. I want you to work on your relationship to yourself just as much as I want you to work on your relationship to others. And you can work on your relationship to yourself just as you can your relationship to others. So as a couples therapist, as a relational therapist, I'm particularly interested. A lot of people who do trauma work work with that young wounded child part, but I'm very interested in the adaptive child a part of us, because that's the part of us that gets us into so much trouble over and over again in our relationships. That's the part of us that fuels what I call your repetitive relational stance. The thing you do over and over again to blow your own foot off. The thing that just won't get you more of what you want. What do I mean? Well. How many of you here have ever found yourself in this one? Angry pursuit. <laughs> Angry pursuit is a dysfunctional relational stance fueled by your adaptive child. Angry pursuit. You will never get more closeness from your partner by complaining, particularly angrily, about how uh, they lack closeness with you. It's just a dysfunctional stance. It doesn't work. That's what dysfunctional means. It won't ever get you more of what you want. So what's the way out of this? The book is all about, and my workshop, and for you therapists who are listening, please come to my uh, website. We have a two-year training program in relational life therapy. I'd love to invite you into. The essence of our work is in those heated moments when you're trauma triggered, when you're flooded, when you have the, 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 the hallmark of the adaptive child is that it's automatic, it's knee-jerk response, and it's compelling. I have to do this thing. In, in 30 years of teaching this, I, I've grouped it into three broad categories, and uh, they still work for me. So take a moment. I know that you're in your wise adult 364 days out of the year. Okay, I got that. But for that one day when you slip, fight, flight, or fix? What's your adaptive child drawn to? Fight, flight, or fix? Now, I'm a fighter. I grew up in a violent home. My wife grew up in a violent home. We're both fighters. Screw me, screw you. That's pretty clear. You can flee while sitting six inches away from somebody. That's called stonewalling. And fixing is not an adult uh, wish to work on your relationship. Fixing is an adaptive child, codependent. Oh, my God, you're upset. I can't not be upset until you're not upset. That's a compulsive, anxious, let me take your upset away at, at all costs. Fight, flight, or fix. When you're triggered, I want you to out yourself right now. Are you a fighter, a fleer, or a fixer? And if you're in a relationship, what is your partner? Fighter, fleer, or fixer? Let, let me give you an example of what I mean by this adaptation and uh, where it comes from. You see, uh, my colleague and friend, Gabor Mate, is fond of saying, you rarely see the wound, you see the scar. And in relationships, we rarely see the wounded child, we see the adaptive child. We don't see what happened to you, we see how you adapted to what happened to you. I have a saying, show me the thumbprint, and I'll tell you about the thumb. Where did you learn this from? Or what are you reacting to? So I had a couple on the brink of divorce. This is an absolutely true story. The guy was a chronic liar. He lied about everything. His wife said, uh, if you ask them uh, what, what kind of shoes he had, he said, they're not shoes, they're sneakers. I mean, he just won't tell the truth about anything. And uh, she was ready to leave him. He was a champion evader. He was one of these guys. I say to him, uh, uh, the sky is blue. And he go, well, aquamarine. 
Okay, show me the thumb. Uh, throw me the thumbprint. I'll tell you about the thumb. If he's a champion evader, as a relational therapist, my next question is, who were you evading? So it, when you don't think relationally, that sounds like a brilliant question where to get that. But the minute you think relationally, you get where it comes from. The wound and the adaptation to the wound. So I say to this fella, who tried to control you growing up? Sure enough, his dad. His dad was a military man, how he sat, how he dressed, his friends, his courses at school, his clothes, everything. I said, what did you do with this overly controlling guy? He said, smiling, I lied. Brilliant. What a clever thing to do. And I teach my students to always be respectful of the exquisite intelligence of the adaptive child. You did exactly what you needed to do to preserve your integrity and wholeness in the face of what was being thrown at you. Well done, brilliant, good job. But I have a saying, adaptive then, maladaptive now. He's no longer that little boy and his wife is not his father. He is being trauma triggered. You don't remember trauma, you relive it. He is back there, that little boy, talking to his controlling dad. He's lost the present. It's been overtaken by the past. This is what happens to us in relationships. And then our adaptation gets triggered. And then we are in a mess. So we get all this out on the table. He comes back two weeks later, all smiles. So is she. They're better. What happened? True story. My wife sent me to the grocery store for, say, 12 things. And true to form, I came back with 11. She says to me, where's the pumpernickel? He says, every muscle and nerve in my body was screaming to say they were out of it. And in this moment, on this day, I took a breath, I looked my wife in the eye, and I said, I forgot. And she, true story, burst into tears. And she said, I've been waiting for this day for 25 years. That's recovery, relational recovery. That is a moment of what I call relational mindfulness moving from the adaptive child to the wise adult in the triggered moment, keeping your wits about you. Now you may need to take a break to do that. I'm a big fan of breaks, even timeouts. If you go to my website, you can download the 10 commandments for how to take a timeout. Take a walk around the block, splash some water on your face, do some deep breathing, meditation. There are whole books now on techniques for self-regulation when you lose it. Bring yourself back to center and then go back into the fray. But get yourself centered. It's what I call remembering love. Remembering that the person you're speaking to is someone you care about and that the reason why you're speaking uh, is to... Um, Sorry, I just wanted to keep track of the reason why you're speaking uh, is to make things better. Now, the book Us is a critique of what I call the toxic culture of individualism. What happens uh, when we get trauma triggered and we move into that adaptive child part of us is that we literally lose the capacity to remember the whole, the relationship. But that's crazy. That's a delusion. We are in the middle of our relationship. And this particular craziness blends with our culture at large. In the book, I go into the neurobiology of uh, the idea. In the idea of freestanding individualists is a, is a myth. We know neurobiologically there's no such thing as self-regulation. We humans co-regulate each other's nervous systems all day long. Uh, we do not 
exist. If you want to see what a freestanding individual looks like, look at someone in solitary confinement. We go mad. Our nervous systems need interaction with other nervous systems in order to function, in order to calm down, uh, in order to stay seated in our wise adult selves. But the culture doesn't operate like that. And I talk about the history, the idea of the individual. It's, a, uh, it's an idea uh, that comes from, in the Enlightenment period, a cohort of uh, uh, gentry, uh, white, powerful men. It's got nothing to do with reality. The essence of individualism, the very word individual, means that you stand apart from nature and it fuses with an older tradition I've been writing about for 30 years now, patriarchy. And patriarchy teaches us that not only are we apart from nature, but we dominate it. You know, people say it's a mistranslation, but at least in the King James Version, God gives Adam dominion over all the things that creep and crawl and walk and fly on this earth. Bad idea. The Greeks called it hubris overweening pride. We would now call it narcissism or grandiosity. You are not above and in control of nature. Whether the nature you're trying to control is your kid or your spouse or your body, I've got to lose 10 pounds, or your mind, I've got to be less negative. Trade in this grandiose delusion of power over for cooperation with and your life will be very different. From the relational sphere, the way I say it is our relationships are our biosphere, that we breathe them. It's the atmosphere we live inside of. You're not above it, you're in it. Now you can choose to pollute your biosphere by having a temper tantrum over here, but you'll breathe in that pollution in your partner's withdrawal over here. You can't escape, you're linked, you're in the same ecosystem. And I talk about trading in the delusion of prideful control for ecological humility. I am not above you, I am with you. And once you shift from above to with, all of the tools in your toolbox change, the whole map changes. From the relational perspective, for example, the question who's right and who's wrong is who cares? It doesn't matter. What matters is how are we as a team going to make this work for both of us? It's the difference between saying, I need more sex in this relationship and saying, honey, we both deserve a good sex life. What are we gonna do to resurrect this for uh, both of us? So. The trick is not to avoid our uh, deep traumas in our relationships. They will get activated. We all marry our unfinished business. We all marry our mothers and fathers. We all become our mothers and fathers. That doesn't, make, that doesn't mean you're in a bad relationship. The question of whether you're in a good or bad relationship is not avoiding that, but how do you handle that? And that means that you turn to the wounded child or adaptive child part of you and take care of it. You don't foist it off on your partner to deal with. Maturity comes, I say, when we deal with our wounded children and don't insist that they act out in our relationships. I wanna show you a film, a 14 minute film so settle down and relax. This is Dan and Nancy. Uh, they're in a um, group uh, a setting. They're observers and there are other couples working. And this is a make it or break it session. Nancy says that if nothing transformative happens in this exact session, uh, that she's divorcing Dan, she no longer loves him. And I wanna see, I want you to see what happens when she faces her inner child and I want to see, I want you to see what happens to her partner's heart, her partner's heart, as he watches her do this work. In relational life therapy, 
uh, we're different from other couples therapy in that we do deep trauma work in the presence of one another. We do deep individual work in the relational context. I wake up in the morning and I uh, wonder what she's going to tell me I've done wrong. And sometimes I have done things wrong. And other times I haven't. He doesn't feel like he does very much that's good. I know. I nitpick at him all the time. Do you? Mm -hmm. Wow. Tell me about it. Oh. Stuff is never put away. Stuff falls on the floor. He doesn't pick it up. I can't stand going in the office. It's a mess. I just had to move my parents from Florida back to Michigan. And they're very difficult people. And I was doing this with my brother. And I asked Dan to affirm me a lot when I was gone. And he did. Wow. You, you texted me. Keep going. Yeah, he texted me. I wish he would have called. It would have been nice to hear his voice. But see there, I criticize right away. <laughs> I want to tell you, when you just did that, yeah. every single person in the room got it. That you were doing that. <laughs> That's how I do it, yeah. yeah. Give the compliment and then take it back right away. Yeah. 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 Where'd you learn that growing up? Oh, mom and dad, straight up. Yeah, tell me about it. Oh, God, I don't want to talk about them. They're terrible. <laughs> you can pass if you want. All they ever do is yell at each other. Yeah. That's what you grew up with. Go on and feel that. Wow. Well, geez, Nancy, what was this like as a kid, as a little girl? Oh, I could never do anything right either, which is, I think I've probably learned it. You know, I never did anything right. Mm -hmm. Even when I was doing things right, I was doing things wrong. And so I think I've learned it and brought that with me. All right, you're parked and complained. All right. <clears throat> and I'm going to say you are in a different universe than your parents when it comes to this. You aren't nearly as bad as they are. Fair? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I worry about being like them. Well, you aren't like them, but you're not as bad. No, we're not, not as bad, no. Yeah. But you are, you did inherit from your, both of them, but particularly from your mother, um, an MO of complaint a way of, we call it a relational stance of complaint. That's your stance, that's your, that's your thing. And um, the thing about complaint is, the great thing about complaint is that there's absolutely no vulnerability in it. Oh, of course, because who can be vulnerable? Yeah. The request is vulnerable. Like when you just said, would you bring me flowers? You were vulnerable. It was a sweet moment. Everybody felt that. But it's hard to be vulnerable. Go on and feel that. It is. It is. It's just scary. It is. It's just scary. Yeah. What if he doesn't show up? What if he doesn't show up? Then you'll be hurt. It's what I call, Nancy, sustainable hurt. And I think the anger will cover up the hurt rather than letting the hurt show. I think that's exactly that's, right. It, it is. We got into a, a big row on Sunday night and I was really hurt and I just blew up. And then at the very end, after an hour, it was like, don't you know how hurt I am about all this? And then sort of the light bulbs went on. And it, but I mask it by all this anger on the front end. Good for you for saying that. Well, I think that there's a, a little girl in you 
that thinks that if she's hurt again, she's just gonna die. I think you're protecting a very vulnerable little part of you that was never attended to. Go on and feel that. Yeah, it's my job to take care of everybody else. Yeah, and resent it. And resent it. But I feel like I'm stepping off the gangplank and I don't know. Yeah, stepping off the gangplank. And um, I think the problem is that you're carrying that little girl. And even if you want to step off the gangplank, she ain't going. I want it. I want to be done with that. Do you? I really want to be done with that. I thought I had done most of that work. Yeah. I have more work to do, huh? Well, let's do some. All right. Can we switch and move into a more experiential mode? You want to try it? Sure. We'll, we'll just try and see how it goes. Okay. I'd like to meet that little girl. So why don't you put your feet flat on the floor. Don't forget to hold the mic up and close your eyes. What about the mic? Just hold it up. Okay. And I want you in your mind's eye to look down into your own body, the cavity of your body and see if you can find that little girl who's convinced that no one will come through for her. You got her? How old is she? Four. Go on and feel it, Nancy. Just let yourself cry. Open up the back of your throat. That's better. Don't choke it back. Be with me. Just be with me. Thanks. Just cry. When you're ready, tell me what she looks like. I'm four o'clock. I'm four years old. She's four years she's old. She's four years old, and she's in bed upstairs all by herself and she's in a big old double bed. Okay. Great. And they don't come for her. No, no, of course not. They don't. She's all alone. Yeah, feels really, it feels like this big cave inside. You yeah, know, like yeah. I feel like I'm curled, you know, curled into a ball, but there's this cave there. Yeah. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to ask her out loud if she would come up out of your body and come sit in an imaginary chair facing you. Oh. Ask her out loud if she would do All that. right. Would you get out of bed and come and sit right here in front of me? Oh. She does it? Mm-hmm. Nancy, how do you feel as you look at her? She's too little. Yeah. And I, I just want to hug her. Yeah. My grandma would hug me. Okay. Stay with her. Okay. Tell her. Tell her as I look at you, I think you're so little and fragile, and I just want to scoop you up and hug you. Tell her that. You're so little and vulnerable and tender and alone and scared and I will hold you and care for you. Can you feel that? Yeah. You feel big enough and strong enough to do that? Yeah. To hold her and care for her? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I feel like a grown-up. And how, what is she doing hearing this from you? I feel like she's scooting out of the chair right away. 
She's scooting under the chair. She's scared. Uh, no. Uh, oh, she's like, scooting under your chair, up, yeah. up under your lap. Yeah. Uh-huh. In your mind's eye, put your arms around her and hold her. Mm. And tell her what you think she needs to hear from you. I'll always be here for you. And just feel that. When you're ready, put her back in your body, back into your heart. And open your eyes. I have something to show you. When you're ready. Can I do this again when I'm... Anytime. All right. Tell her that. Tell her I'll be back. I'm going to come back. Good work, Nancy. That felt really good. Good. And I told you I want to show you something. Yeah. Look at his face. <laughs> no, no, no. Look at his face. That's for you. That's called compassion. I feel like he gets scared of me when I get... But listen to me. Look at him and be here now. Okay, here. Hold my hand. Just hold my hand. How are you doing? Okay. Say more. Hold the mic up, Tom. No, it's a beautiful story. Go on and cry, Dad. If those tears would speak, what would they say? Well, I would like to hug that little girl. Nancy, why don't you go first? <laughs> okay. Tell this man what he needs to hear from me. I really do love you. I, I really do. So much crap has gotten in the way, and it's been stupid and wrong. And we, I've been full of pride and haven't let myself. I haven't let myself get vulnerable enough, and I haven't trusted you. And I know you're trustworthy. I know it. And I think you're an awesome husband and I think you're very handsome and I think you have great legs <laughs> can you tell that to go to <laughs> I won't take it any further <laughs> you are on court girl <laughs> and okay. I do know you have a big heart and I want our hearts to be together I really do I, I really do think we are good together and we've just, I've just been stupid. I'm sorry. Okay. Take that in. Thanks, dear. I, lo I love you too. And I love that story about the little girl. <laughs> Go on and feel that. And I'm sorry I haven't held her enough. And I want to hold her, and I will. And I love you, and I want to be loved by you, and I know you can love me. And you have good legs, too. You want to hug from the guy? Will you take a hug from the guy? Yeah. Give me a hand. Forgot to say, Terry, thank you for a brilliant presentation and also that video as well is really interesting. So thank you. So the question is how to deal with your nervous system when you're not with other human beings. I'll tell you what, this is what I'd have you work on. One thing, which is being kind. <laughs> you have a relationship with yourself. You talk to yourself. And uh, I have a saying, Alexandra, uh, we tend to hold ourselves the way we were held. 
If you were held tenderly and lovingly as a child, despite your imperfections, uh, then it's pretty easy for you to do that. But if you're like most of us, myself included, you were not held that way consistently and you have to learn how. And so <laughs> when you are, uh, when the dogs are unleashed, when you're relentless and harsh and giving yourself a hard time, stand up to that and <clears throat> tell yourself that today in this moment, just like you would stand up to it if it were somebody outside of you, I am not going to be on the receiving end of harshness. Today in this moment, I will be kind and practice uh, feeling bad about bad behaviors, perhaps if it's warranted, but still holding yourself warmly and tenderly in the face of your imperfections. Work on your own relationship by increasing your self-compassion and standing up to anything that's harsh. That's what I'd have you start with. Just on the self-compassion note, um, Terry, are you familiar with uh, uh, Kristen Neff's work? Would you recommend that as well? I would. Chris Neff, also Dick Schwartz, Internal Family Systems. Um, Tara Brock, uh, the, uh, the Buddhist, who talks about radical acceptance. Um, Gabor Mate, who talks about compassion and inquiry. There are a lot of us telling us to gentle up uh, between our ears. I, I talk about learning to live a non-contempt life, non-contempt between you and others and non-contempt between your ears. And um, when I'm being contemptuous to myself, I lean in and I just say, come on, say what you need to say but say it more kindly yeah, I really like what you said about um, just that the there's no value in harshness you know and I think we just need to keep reminding ourselves of that Hi, oh, Terry. Um, thanks for that that was a um, really amazing video I'm just wondering um, I'm training um, therapists as and I'm just wondering um, about the safety of taking a client, well, not so much taking, but I've got a client who, 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 who has regressed to her um, eight-year-old self, and she has suffered really quite um, profound developmental trauma. Um, and I'm wondering about her having that conversation with her, with her, um, her eight-year-old self. And it seems like a really kind of short intervention that, that your client had there. And I just, I just don't know how safe that would be for, for my client and how I, I would, you know, despite the grounding work we've done, how, how to, I would ensure her safety whilst doing that. You know, what's the danger, Philip? What are you afraid of? Um, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of, of getting it wrong, I suppose. I'm, a, I'm afraid that, um, I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. You know, I've been doing this around the world for 30 years. And um, uh, first of all, you always put in the past rule. You can stop at any time, anytime you get overwhelmed. You don't have to do anything you don't want to. Uh, so there's, there's that elaborateness. I, uh, with somebody who has a severe trauma history, I'll do work that most trauma therapists will do. Think of an ally, think of a safe place, think of resources. And if you start to get overwhelmed, let's access those resources. So they're, they're in charge. And if you really transmit uh, that this is a safe place and that they are in control, they'll go as deep or as not as they feel uh, they can. And uh, I, I, I just have never yet experienced that uh, people get flooded and overwhelmed for a few minutes and then take a breath, you know, feel your feet on the floor, hear my voice. Can you feel that I'm here with you? You're not alone. Um, go to your resources, go to an ally, go to a safe place. Do you want to stop here? Do you want to keep going? And um, uh, it, it's never felt like it's been a negative experience in, in, uh, in my years of doing this. So go slow, 
and uh, be very thoughtful about the safety and let them be in charge. Uh, but my experience is that people will go as deep or not as they are ready for. I think, I think we're much more frightened of this than they are. I mean, my experience is that, is that she has been really frightened when she has been in that situation and not been able to bring herself back. So I'm kind of guessing that the, it's probably worth me kind of discussing with her whether that would be something that she'd want to do. Oh, um, yeah. Maybe approaching it you know, when she's completely or as much as she can be in her um, adult, um, uh, when she's in her adult and seeing if she is rather than when she's regressed and trying to sort of like almost bring yeah. like yeah the, the the powerful tool here is what dick schwartz calls on blending that uh, your your client is seated in their adult self and i would say to somebody you're not feeling fear she is it's not your fear it's hers you're not overwhelmed that little girl is overwhelmed what does she need from you right now and I'm empowering the adult to be in relationship and give to that trigger child. So that separation uh, of you and the overwhelmed child, uh, I think is what stops so many people from what you call regressing. What you call regressing, I would call blending. The, the, the overwhelm of that four-year-old is now what the person's experienced. Let's go back and separate the two of you. But I have a two-year training program. <laughs> this is, uh, you know, this is a, a, a three-minute uh, consult, but it's more complicated than that, as we both know. Yeah, I just wanted to find out a little bit more because I've, I, I always thought trauma was something where you had the extreme, you know, like, like severe abuse or a, a traumatic event, like a, I don't know a death when you're really young or an accident. And I've just learned a little bit more about it recently. And I'm just wondering, is, is it true that trauma is not necessarily the event, but it, it's how your parents or caregivers supported you at the time, which is why it has led to trauma in your adult life? Yeah, beautiful question, Ellen. Trauma is overwhelming, is an overwhelming experience. The, the essence of trauma is overwhelming. And um, whether an experience is overwhelming or not has everything to do with the context you're in. For example, in my country, Vietnam vets came back with terrible trauma, but they were despised when they came back, as opposed to uh, more recent combat vets who have a lot of support. And they're not as, uh, they, they, they're still trauma, but war is traumatic. But you understand what I'm saying? The same thing with a child. I have uh, a tape of an African-American uh, man who gets uh, uh, very aggressive when his wife turns her back to him. I, I say to him, I'll bet there's a, a little boy inside who's feeling quite abandoned in that moment. He says, bingo, and quite spontaneously tells me what he's never told anyone, which is about his sexual abuse as a seven-year-old. I said, who, who, did, who did you tell? No one. What gets activated in the moment when his wife turns his back is not the intrusion of the sexual abuse, but the abandonment of having no one to tell. I call this relational trauma. People call it little t trauma. There's the big catastrophic trauma of a one-shot sexual abuse. And then there are the millions of transactions of abandonment that happened in this child's life. His mother was a drug addict. His father was a womanizer. And there was no one there uh, uh, for him. Uh, it was particularly dicey uh, or to uh, do this cross-race uh, lines. And there's a whole discussion to be had about uh, as you move people into vulnerability, particularly being aware of uh, marginalized people, people have cultural trauma along with the individual trauma, and what it's like being a majority therapist uh, while you're doing that work with them. But um, uh, it wasn't the sexual trauma uh, that was ruining his relationship, it was the abandonment. Yeah. 
I, I, I'm really starting to understand a bit more now. Thank you for that. Um, I, I, there's a lot of things that have happened that I think oh, I haven't. I've had a good childhood, but then there must be things that have happened that make you as an adult anxious or avoidant or whatever you are. You know, because it's your. It's sometimes it's not always obvious. You know, you need to really go back, don't you, and think about things. Is that what you recommend that you have to? Yeah, and find a source to this, or do you think it's irrelevant? I, I don't think it's the wound. It's your adaptation. I think in the work I do, we start to identify what are your knee-jerk adaptations, avoidance, for example, shutdown, and yes, then it can be uh, important to wind that down and yeah. see where it came from. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good. You're welcome. Hi, hello. Thank you for a really interesting talk and the video showing, um, you know, a bit of a session. Um, my question is about the uh, focus on individualism in society, I suppose, particularly Western society, um, which I think is a big part of the problem in relationships. Um, how would you recommend challenging that kind of uh, systemic individualism you know i have a saying charles you can be right or you can be married what's more important to you and uh it, 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 what i it, you know i get a guy and he says something to me like uh why should i work so hard to make her happy in a heterosexual relationship uh, and, and i say to him well because take a breath are you ready you live with her that's why <laughs> I don't talk about altruism. I talk about enlightened self-interest. Mm -hmm. And once you realize that you and your partner are a team uh, and you're working together to make this work for both of you, then uh, the whole you versus me way of going about things, which is the essence of individualism, which we bring into our relationships and uh, to very destructive consequences, that melts away. And you begin to think more like a team. And I literally use the language of thinking like a team, working like a team. I'm also wondering about like whether you would kind of do what you might recommend for challenging it at a kind of more societal level, as well as obviously within the couple's work you do. Um, yeah. but the whole, you know, the whole focus on sort of individualism, which I suppose children are kind of, basically fed even when they're at school um, yeah you know i was just talking to neil about this before we got on the, the rise seems on the rise uh you know during the pandemic my right to not wear a mask even though it threatened your illness mm. um <clears throat> this individualism in the globe i think is part of a um very conservative backlash to uh, more progressive developments that have been happening. I think that uh, there's a war going on between a more progressive uh, attitude toward uh, nature, toward masculinity, toward relationships, <laughs> and a much more conservative one. The conservative uh, attitude is very much about me, 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 <laughs> uh, uh, power and control and dominance. And I'm very proud in the book, I, I do talk about, I start with neurobiology, I go to our relationships, but I then move on to race and patriarchy and gender mm -hmm. and to our relationship to nature itself. And if we don't, this is a, a, an important note to end on, if we don't trade in the, the hubris, the pride of the, the grandiosity of saying we are above nature and in control of it, for the humility of understanding that we are in nature and depend upon it, uh, we are going to put our whole species in jeopardy. So uh, I say, you know, we cannot necessarily bring peace to the Ukraine, but we can bring peace to our living rooms and bedrooms. We may not be able to save the planet single-handedly, but we can live with ecological wisdom in our lives. So start with your own life and live a wiser, more ecological life in our relationships. Thank you. Thank you. It's a brilliant question. Okay, Charles, thank you for your question. That was great.
Terry, thank you for a brilliant presentation, video, and the Q&A as well. I think people got loads from that. Uh, so the, the book's out on June 7th. You can pre-order it now, I'm assuming, on Amazon and all the usual sort of places. Um, you've got a workshop coming up in the summer going into more depth into what we've covered today. Do you want to say a little bit more about that there and how people can for, access uh, it? Yeah, it's for individuals and couples. Uh, and uh, you can get it on my website, Terry. We don't have it yet, but it's coming this summer. I've got a summit coming May 24th through 27th, 30 of the world's great experts on relationship and me, it's free. We're expecting 100,000 people, Gabor Mate, Dick Schwartz, Bessel van der Kolk, but also Hugh Jackman and uh, Bradley Cooper, the actors. Uh, it's gonna be really quite a spectacular event. That's May 24th through 27th. So go to my website, terryreal.com and poke around. Brilliant. Okay. Well, Terry, thank you very much. Uh, everybody else, we're back now in about 20 minutes for our final session with Logan Yuri. So we'll see you guys all then and enjoy the rest of your weekend, Terry. Great to see you and talk yeah. to you soon. All right. Thank you all.